Hello everyone and welcome to TechNet. We are a podcast where we have conversations with different people doing research or activism in relation to social movements, gender, sexualities and digital technologies. As always, my name is Nadia. And my name is Ona. So uh, today we are very happy to have Ishil Kurnas here uh, for our 8th of March special episode. Uh, Ushul is a human rights lawyer and currently a doctoral candidate at Bilkent University in Ankara, Turkey. And she's also a writer at Birikim, which is a cultural and political journal in Turkey. So today uh, we will talk about feminist scholarship and activism in Turkey. And then uh, we will move our focus to uh, Istanbul Convention as Ushul has a very like deeper knowledge on that, that we will share information. So welcome, Ushul, and thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to be with you in this special session for 8 March. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, welcome. So, yeah, and we would like to actually hear like about, can you tell us about your research interests? Yeah, of course. Um, as I said before, it's a great pleasure for me to be with you in this special session. And I'm Ushul Kurnas from Turkey. I graduated from law school and then pursued my academic career in Sweden for two years in Lund. And then I obtained my LLM degree in human rights law in Lund University with my master thesis on military coups and the collective social rights in Turkey, thanks to the Swedish government scholarship. And to pursue my academic career and academic studies in constitutional law and international human rights law as well, I found a position at Bilkent University, Ankara, Turkey, and I turned back to the Turkey to start my PhD studies as a research scholar at Bilkent University. And nowadays I have been writing my PhD dissertation on strategic human rights litigation as a comparative study in terms of human rights judiciary and the mechanisms in the world and the constitutional judiciary as well. And I'm specifically interested in feminism, gender and law, gender studies and gender cases at the constitutional courts and the court houses in Turkey and in worldwide. LGBTQ rights and their promotion, constitutional law and their constitutional history is another topic that I have been interested in for long. Mm-hmm. For example, my last academic article that is published in Bar Association Review is about the LGBTQ rights in Turkey and cases before the Turkish constitutional law. Mm-hmm. Wow, very, very, very nice. Yeah. So, I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and that's why we're doing this online and everything. But I wonder if you maybe know how are these the feminist groups are organizing themselves in these challenging times or how are they organizing, particularly for the 8th of March, for example, the 8th of March demonstrations? Yeah, it's very good beginning to understand the pandemic situation deeply and realize that it's not only a health issue, but as I said before, it's oh, it's a gendered political wave because women are affected, affected from the pandemic more than other groups. And for example, we can look at the UN Women and their reports on uh, pandemic and women's rights, and they published a report called Gender Equality in the Wake of COVID-19 on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on women and girls, including how it is affecting extreme poverty, employment, health, unpaid care, violence against women and girls. And this publication of UN Women also brings into focus to the paucity of the gender data and the calls for greater investment and prioritization of data on the gender effects of the crisis. As we know from the feminism, the crisis should never be categorized as gender neutral. And so COVID-19 is no exception and it's not gender neutral, neutral as well. While men reportedly have a higher fatality rate, women and girls are especially hurt by by the resulting economic and social fallout. Impacts on women and girls have worsened across the abroad, and women are losing their livelihoods faster because they are more expected to hard-hit economic sectors, tourism, food, service, and etc. And according to new analysis commissioned by the UN Women as well and the UNDP by 2021, around 4 million and 35 million women and girls will be living on less than $1.9 a day, including 47 million 
pushed into poverty as a result of COVID-19. So I do not mean that the impacts are not just economic, but uh, women are affected the crisis and uh, pandemic more than any other groups maybe. And when we are looking at how women are trying to organize themselves, they are organizing themselves through the online meetings, work sharing through the emails and reports writing processes. For instance, Association of the Human Rights of Women in Turkey just realized a report on becoming a woman at the time of the pandemic. Moreover, women gathered under the umbrella organizations of feminist groups for a rally on an international day for the elimination of violence against women on 25th of November. And we also see that they are organizing and trying to find new ways of being together by making their health masks, supporting their handmade products, knitting them, etc. So we formed, for example, I can um, exemplify from the organization that I have been involved in as well. We formed the Women Coalition uh, on Pandemic, including different representations of women groups and writing reports on Istanbul Convention law and political parties and the new constitutional debates by breathing our own words. So when we look at the 8th March and the pandemic in Turkey, women are trying to mobilize themselves in digital platforms and they are, try they, they are not uh, stop themselves because as we see from the 25th of November, 8th March will be protested in the everywhere in Turkey with the huge parks and huge public spaces as, in, as well. Do you know if, if in the 8th of March, uh, the women's protests are going to have a particular topic? Because for example, I was talking with a friend of mine that she is part of the organizing team in Colombia, uh, or at least in Bogota, uh, for the 8th of March protests. And she was telling me that they have a topic this year. Apparently, each year, it's a different topic that they like they want to focus on. And this year, let me let me show you it's, um, it's about the femicides. So mm -hmm. It says, I'm going to show this on camera. Uh, I'm going to explain it for our listeners and not our viewers. This is uh, hashtag 8M. And it says, um, Luto Nacional uh, por Feminicidios. And it, it's, it translates into National Mourning for Feminicides. And it's this is this is the type of, of thing. This is a shirt, but they they have different types of um, of things. So this is a poster yeah. where you can see there how they they chose feminicides or femicides as the the topic for this year, at least in Colombia. Do you know in Turkey, for example, what would be the topic of this year's mobilization? Yeah, in Turkey this year's our mobilization is through the Istanbul Convention. And we call the new demonstrations Istanbul Sözleşmesi Yeşatır is a kind of slogan. It, it means that Istanbul Sözleşmesi will make you live. So it's very important to put some uh, operation on the government about Istanbul Convention because it's it's very vital in for women in Turkey and our ongoing debates is surrounding this topic and therefore especially when I am trying to understand the 8 March demonstrations and their organizations I think it's the, the basic figure Istanbul convention and some pro some slogans of it some some of the pictures on it and the importance on the Istanbul convention Mm, that's quite interesting. I think I think we will keep talking about the Istanbul Convention later, but I would want to ask you in relation to the femicides or the feminicides um, that I was also showing to you before. Um, this has been a situation, probably not only for Latin America as as a, as a place where this issue has become some sort of like another pandemic during this pandemic. Um, but I wanted to ask you if in Turkey, gender-based violence and femicides, um, so like, how does this relate, or if you know, so to like this legal framework in combating this violence against women, do you know maybe 
um, how does that work? Yeah, it's very vital topic as well. In, in short, there's a huge story behind the new legal framework in Turkey uh, in terms of gender-based violence and femicides, because as you said, it's alarming issues. And women have made a huge effort to obtain legal achievements on women's rights on paper. As early as 1990s legal framework, for example, Hanerkling mean that women are slaughtered in the name of virginity, but a cause of remission and an extra good time in the criminal proceedings. And women organizations and feminist groups had been together in a rally called March Against Violence and then started to get to work to make some gain in the legal sphere. Right now, women hater and misogynist articles of the criminal code have been changed. Hunter Killings have published with harsh penalties. Article on equality in our constitution specifically contained the article on gender equality. And more importantly, Turkey is the first signatory state of the Istanbul Convention called the Council of the Europe Convention on Preventing and Combating Violence Against Women and Domestic Violence better known as the Istanbul Convention, which is a human rights treaty of the Council of Europe against violence against women and domestic violence. And it was opened for signature on 2011 in Istanbul, Turkey. And the convention aims at the prevention of violence, victim protection, and to end the impunity of perpetrators. In March 2012, Turkey became the first country to ratify the convention, followed by 33 other countries. And it is the first country since the reason behind the convention was the Opus versus Turkey case of the HSR, that is landmark case. And the decision marked the first time the court recognized that the failure of states to address gender-based violence can amount to form of discrimination under the convention. However, our achievements have been at high risk in Turkey since anti-gender movements supported by the conservative government right now in Turkey, tries to withdraw from the treaty. Not only Turkey, we know Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Bulgaria, and their far-right movements are trying to do the same. Why do you think, I mean, since Turkey, it's pretty much the one, the first one that actually like signed that, that, uh, that agreement, I mean, why do you think this change? I mean, I'm, I know about this uh, the change in government, but shouldn't shouldn't that be also? Um, I mean, this agreement is an international agreement, so shouldn't other countries should be also like pushing for this agreement to keep on going as well in Turkey and and the and the the other uh, countries that have signed it? Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? I mean, why do you think this this has changed? It's very interesting to, to see some zigzags of the government since when you read the official reports by the Turkish Grand National Assembly, you can see that the not only opposition political parties, but also government and their representatives, parliamentarians, have been enthusiastically supporting the sign of the convention and being part of it. And the convention had been signed by mutual agreement between opposition parties and the ruling party. Even right after the law on the protection of family and prevention of violence against women have begun to work by common accord, and all mechanism foreseen, foreseen in the Istanbul Convention is also repeated in the new Turkish law. However, right-wing politicians, the conservative movement in Turkey, and the president as well, start to see this convention and the law is a kind of reason for the dissolution of family. And I do not understand what the meaning, what is the meaning of the dissolution of family? Mm -hmm. And according to them, these mechanisms empowered women and then divorce rate in Turkey has increased. Instead of applications of the convention, peacemaking and family mediation shall be promoted by the judiciary rather than removing husbands from home. Judge shall try to bring them together. However, it is inadmissible as we see from the opus case, behind case of the Istanbul convention, Police forces tried to bring Opus and her husband together without sanction, and then a woman had slaughtered, killed. And another point that government is uncomfortable with, it's related to gender definition of Istanbul Convention, in inverted comma, it's according to them, it legalizes LGBTQ people in Turkey. However, in Turkey, there is no, according to them. <laughs> according to their <laughs> <Yes. laughs> 
Yes. And, and this is also actually uh, obviously a transnational phenomenon now, like being against Istanbul Convention has been uh, like the Signi, when we look at the Signi countries, especially when we look at some countries such as you also mentioned some like Poland, Slovakia and Hungary have been also moving away with their increasing right-wing authoritarianism in their own governments. And uh, also we have seen the anti-gender movements around Europe, which have been taking Istanbul Convention at its core criticism. And you already mentioned a very important point that like how they are like putting family as a point of valuing um, like a term against gender equality or feminist agenda. So in that regard, why do you think then this convention is so much being attacked in Europe, even though it is promising um, preventing violence against women? This is like a fundamental human rights. And why do you think this is such, this is growing the challenge against the uh, convention? Far populism, far right populism has been increasingly spread over the world as we since. And mm. I remember the, how democracies die, the question by Levitsky. And maybe the answer is so basic. Democracy dies fragmentarily. And it means that they try to take back our rights, which is obtained from the huge struggle. In the political theory, these times of the world is called big regression because starting from the environment to the basic rights, our achievements are at high risk by the populist far right and oppressive governments. And all the countries mentioned have different argumentation against the Istanbul Convention. For example, Poland, as we know, tries to revoke the right to abortion and finally they did it by rendering, rendering it unusable. According to Bulgaria, the convention would eventually lead to formal recognition of the third gender because of the gender definition of the Istanbul Convention and the same-sex marriage, their theories about it, for example. And Slovakia is the same and not ratify the convention yet. They oppose convention's clauses concerning LGBTQ rights, which they portrayed as extreme liberalism that contradicts their traditional values and they felt needed to be protected. Hungary did not ratify the convention as well, but interesting point is Poland, since Poland both signed and ratified the convention, however, Polish government also criticized the treaty for stating that culture, custom, religion, tradition, and so-called honor shall be regarded as justification for acts of violence against women. And as a woman, I may say, we should struggle not only in the legal sphere, but also in far-right movements and far-right populism, which have come to power around Europe. It's very, very important. LGBTQ issue is very important because as I mentioned before, governments oppose, oppose and fear the legal recognition of the LGBTQ people in the treaty. However, what is interesting is that the convention does not tell about anything on LGBT people openly. The convention just Restrictively, and I think it's not enough for me, offers a binary interpretation of the gender as a both biological and social category and defines the gender not only in biological terms, but also as the socially constructed role. So it's very basic and it's not, it's not enough as well. Even this kind of close interpretation annoys governments. And we could say that alarms bells start to ring for all vulnerable groups in Turkey and in all Europe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it could be, I think, added that pandemic is an, another important topic, the Istanbul Convention and their, um, their unusable, uh, their unusability, because uh, the emergency times and the pandemic situation are very good marked topics since there are some going bangs, backs and regressions on human rights in the time of the pandemic. Femicide and women protection in Turkey, 
for example. Firstly, stay-at-home policies, for example. The governments made women restrained at home, which is not safe places for them. And then, if they exposed to any kind of violence or crime at home, mechanisms that protect them has not functioned as the same as before. For instance, the Association of Human Rights of Women reported that emergency phone line of the Family and the Social Policies Ministry for the Women, when there is an emergency, has been assigned for the pandemic health emergency. So, in the emergency times, out of pandemic, women are not able to reach this phone line. Moreover, there is no measure for free support for the home care services for women, although the same closure of the schools for more than one year. Another important point to be mentioned is related to the judiciary and Istanbul Convention. In March 2020, so the, in the beginning of the pandemic, judges are authorized not to give a restraining order to the perpetrators under the mask of protect public health, even if for the situation that the Istanbul Convention required to do so. Since there is a travel restriction, lockdowns and curfew, women are not able to run away from the crime scene and not to reach women's shelter, not to have restraining order of the husbands and not to reach phone line of the family minister. And not only that, but like they cannot even get out of their houses. I mean, yeah. just just the basic thing, which is like, well, this house is hell, so I need to leave. And that yeah. that not being possible, I mean, for the pandemic situation, but also like from the law coming that from the law, that is super bad. I didn't know it was that bad. I mean, it's quite shocking that that the government has put that that law specifically in particularly in the beginning of the pandemic. Like this, I'm guessing, of course, I don't know, but I'm guessing that this had affected so bad the well-being of of so many women yeah. and um, and also i mean lgbtq people and, and children as well that have been uh held <laughs> against their will um with the with, with the people making them harm i mean it's horrible but but for women specifically this is oof, yeah i cannot even definitely yeah, yeah. i think the pandemic uh, conditions are showing us how we urgently need Istanbul Convention's implementation even more. But it's very uh, terrible to see with the pandemic, the opposition against the convention is even being deepened. So this is a very big contradiction in, the, in regards to, as you said, Nadia, an issue like how we perceive uh, pandemic conditions and especially being at home is a very dangerous situation for women and LGBTQI people. So this is, uh, as we always say, or, or they have been saying, yes, like hashtag stay at home and stay home, yes, to keep each other safe from the pandemic, but not everybody is at safe at home all the time. So this is a very urgent subject in that. Uh, should you kind of already responded to this, but when we see the opposition against the uh, Istanbul Convention, we see so much targeting of LGBTQI plus groups as well. So uh, can you tell, remind us again, what does convention say about LGBTQI rights specifically? Of course, mm -hmm. mm. but as I said before, I found the Istanbul convention is very inadequate and not right. enough for the LGBTQ people for me. So it's very, mm -hmm. very narrow definition of the gender uh, of course, it, it depends on the interpretation of the convention. So you can uh, trying to promote the LGBTQR rights um, mm -hmm. in the name of the convention. But if your interpretation is not around this one, you cannot. Mm -hmm. So it's very um, related to margin of appreciation of the countries. And I think that it's the basic rights and it's done, it does not leave of the, it shouldn't be left to the margin of appreciation of the government. So it's mm -hmm. because it's very, you know, pro it's not very unproportional. Mm -hmm. But the convention, uh, as I said before, had been written after the tragic case before the ECSR called Opus case. In 2009, 
the court announced its judgment brought by a victim of domestic violence against the Turkish government for failing mm. to protect her and her mother from attacks perpetrated by her husband. Mm. So it's related to gender. So gendered nature of the convention is should be promoted. Ruling for the plaintiff, the court found that the Turkish government violated three articles of the European Convention on Human Rights, the right to life, the prohibition of torture and inhuman treatment, and the prohibition of discrimination. And critically, Opus decision holds governments accountable for failing to take adequate steps to, steps to protect victims of repeated domestic violence, even absent any active malfeasance on the state's part. According to the convention, when we look at violence against women is a violation of human rights and a form of discrimination against women and shall mean all acts of the gender-based violation, including LGBTQR people that result in or are likely to result in physical, sexual, psychological or economic harm or suffering to women, including threats of such acts, coercion or arbitrary deprivation of liberty, whether occurring in public or private law. So it's life. So Istanbul Convention is very important uh, because it recognizes the public and private uh, nature of the violence. So it's not only private issue, it's also public issue as well. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that domestic violence had been recognized for the first time that all acts of physical, sexual, psychological, and it's the first time economical violence that occur with the family or domestic unit or between former or current spouses or partners, whether or not the perpetrator shares or has shared the same residence with the victim. And the important key, key terms in this is gender. And the all opposition of the government's Farai movements depends on this gender definition of the convention because the convention includes the social gender approach and the gender means that the socially constructed roles, behaviors, activities, attributes that a given society considers appropriate for women and men. And it's very important, gender-based violence against women means that violence that is directed against a woman as a gender because she is a woman or that affects women disproportionately. So when we look at the implementation of the provisions of this convention by the parties, in particular measure to protect the rights of the victims shall be secured without discrimination on any ground such as sex, gender, race, color, language, political or another opinion, national or social origin, association with a national minority, property, birth, and it's important because it openly says that sexual orientation, gender identity should not be, is part of it. So it's very important. Istanbul Convention foresees that you should, you should strongly protect sexual orientation and gender identity violation against this group. So it's very important and the rapid applications without delay to protect the women and LGBTQR people is the another requ requirement for the Istanbul Convention. And Gravio is the monitoring mechanism to the convention and monitoring to Turkey as well, uh, tries to understand whether it applies or not. And from a lawyer's, human rights lawyer's perspective, because you earlier mentioned this is very open for the interpretation of the governments, the, what Istanbul Convention says. And in that regard, uh, uh, when it comes to prevention of violence, do you think this would, this, such interpretations would reduce uh, it to this binary construction of gender easily, which is, for example, uh, specifically focused on cisgender women and not, uh, and then ignoring the violence against LGBTQI plus uh, people. So do you think the convention is very clear that the government, if they accept and implement, has to protect uh, everyone's uh, lives? Um, yeah, I, I could say yes. Yes, because there is some open fragmentations and op open articles on the the margin of appreciation on the states and governments. However, Istanbul Convention openly states that uh, any form of discrimina discrimination shall be prohibited, and it is included in and the LGBTQR people, gender, social gender, sexual orientation, mm -hmm. and 
sexual identity is including included in this type of uh, right discrimination. Yes, and from this, I mean, recently, I would like to also address this topic then maybe we can hear your opinion. As we have seen recently, LGBTQI plus community in Turkey has been specifically targeted with an ongoing Boğaziçi protests uh, in Istanbul, which has been uh, a protest against the appointment of a rector in the university in undemocratic ways. I think that you can also explain this better from a legal perspective. Uh, can you just draw this crisis and how do you think this crisis um, will be resolved? Oh, it's a new topic in Turkey. I think the story is starting, is not on, the, the story does not start with uh, Boğaziçi. I think the story is starting after the speech of the chair of the religious affairs in Turkey states that being gay is forbidden by Islam. And LGBTQR people in Turkey is much more than vulnerable. He goes further and stated that we will struggle with LGBTQ people against LGBTQ people. So, so they are not only legally ignored, but also socially under the risk in the state. And Boazici protest is related to the appointed rector, not elected by the members of the university. However, government relocates the topic to another issue, which is irrelevant to the protest. But since they are very aware that, although the appointment of rectorship would draw reaction by the public, LGBTQR people hate and hate speech against them are much, much easier to handle for them. However, we could say, not say that it's only the government manipulation since the embitterment of the LGBTQ hate is much more important than the government policy on the false representation. This kind of disputes and agenda is also related to Istanbul Convention since embitterment of LGBTQ hate can be used as a flag to withdraw the convention. However, Turkey, like all countries, does not only consist of the government and the ruling party, and there is a huge opposition groups which shall not be oppressed by the government, although they use all oppressive mechanisms on it. And all groups in Turkey, feminist, LGBTQ co community, leftists, women, leftists, children, civil society, academicians, including Kvazici, and much more are still resisting and withstanding on behalf of the rights. And institutionally, some of the institutions in Turkey, such as Constitutional Court, made some positive steps on LGBTQ rights in Turkey, such as applying Istanbul Convention, categorizing LGBTQ hate as a form of discrimination in the, some individual cases, implementing the principle of equality in terms of women, men, and LGBTQ people as well. And I'm aware that they shall be considered very small step. However, I know from the cases before the courthouses and the constitutional courts, these small steps, as I mentioned before, uh, promote the LGBTQ rights in Turkey. Because, as we say that, as we say that democracy dies in small pieces. But I can say that democracy and right-based policies enhance in small and individual pieces as well. So I'm very happy to see some kind of individual cases in Turkey especially before the constitutional court great yeah i mean it's it's quite interesting to know this uh, this issue with uh, and how you i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing it i i'm really bad at turkish apparently <laughs> owner was trying to teach me and i failed miserably but um what i mean is that it's quite interesting how you sort of like give us a, a so like a history before that happened and how sort of like it turned to be, uh, right? It's not only because of, of that that started it. it, it just started before. It's, it's quite interesting that, but I want to sort of like um, maybe before our time is, is up. Um, so like returning a little bit to, to the 8th of March movement, um, and since, since this is our 8th of March special, uh, I just wanted to ask you if uh, you are planning to go to this, uh, to any of the, of the um, I mean, protests, is there going to be 
on on the on the space is it going to be online uh do you know how it's going to be uh, uh yeah women are uh, i i think eight at the seven o'clock i think it's kind of the feminist night protest and feminist night rally uh, at the central parks in the ankara and we are going to be, we will go there and then together Ah, together, fantastic. Yeah. I, I wish I could go to the one that they're organizing in, in Colombia, well, this in Bogota, uh, because uh, f- friends of mine are going and I think it's going to be a great thing. But just as a, as a quick question, um, when I was in Colombia and I was doing some, some talking with some friends and, and family, etc., um, we've been sort of like dealing with this new ongoing sort of like type of let's call it right feminism uh which is it's sort of like the turf type of 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 of, uh, women saying that only persons that have was were born with uh you know of uh, a vagina or something are allowed to be women and no one else and and But not only their turf, but they also have like these types of um, ideas that like look a lot like the right wing type of ideas. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask, why? What do you think this is going on? I mean, it. I mean, maybe this is not something that is new, but it's uh, it's something that keep keep coming to our topics while I was in Colombia. So I was. I just want to know your opinions, both of you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just here uh, for our audience, maybe we can say turf. Uh, the opening of turf is trans uh, ex- trans exclusionary radical feminism. So yeah, we can continue. <laughs> yes, <I'm that>. <laughs> I just wanted to open it. Yeah, <laughs> thank, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. <laughs> when you are talking, I remember that the one of the main party to withdraw from the Istanbul Convention is one of the main. Women Association in Turkey, right-wing Women Association in Turkey, and they um, trying to withdraw from the convention as well, and they are women. So I really don't understand how it's possible, as I don't understand the what what is the meaning of the family dissolution, for example, or LGBTQ hate, or there is no LGBTQ people in Turkey, the mm. kind of this stuff. But the right-wing populism is not gender neutral as well. So not only men are rights, rightists and right-wing populists, there are also some women and and I think, or turf people as, as you mentioned. And I think being turf is kind of the kind of form of the uh, violation of the rights, basic rights. And it's it forms the uh, right kind of discrimination against trans people, etc. But when we look at the right populist and these kind, these people, these women, they are not gender neutral and they are affected from the right wing populist, the nationalist, nationalistic politics of the governments. They are affected and they trying to promote this kind of values, so-called values. Uh, and they, so it, it's so negative. It's so, so disappointing to see some, to see some women trying to withdraw from the Istanbul Convention. Um, however, we can say that I think it's not on the legal, legal policy, it's not on the legal uh, struggle. It's not only related to legal struggle. struggle. I think we should politically um, promote and enhance these kind of values, especially we can say that it's kind of left values as well. It's it, 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 because it's, coming from the left traditions and left leftist politics and it's related to uh, it's related to politics and politic approach on women rights lgbtqr rights against some politics against the discrimination uh, right to assembly maybe right to demonstration it's very important and it's they are not free from the some of the political approach to the rights-based policy in Turkey and in Europe as well. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I was thinking while you were you know, while you were talking that they are not only ex- like 
exclusionary to trans uh, to trans women, for example, they are all also exclusionary with men, with uh, anyone that does not agree with them. They are like quite. Uh, I, I was I was talking with my dad. He he is uh, um, part of an organization that it's called um, Colectivo Hombres y Masculinidades, which translates into uh, Men and Masculinities Collective Collective. Uh, and they they work with um, sort of like a, a new masculinities or the non-toxic type of masculinities and they, they do all these things. And he was telling me that uh, a, a year ago, uh, not during pandemic, but the year before, um, they, they always have been going to the 8th of March uh, because of course they are feminists. And so they mm -hmm. are, you know, there to support. And he had an encounter with this uh, with this type of radical feminists and actually they got banned from it and at one point um he said that there was a uh, a man with 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 uh, his uh, daughter and he was just walking with her uh, you know in the march and then they started to call it like like saying to him that he was a rapist and all these other things horrible things with her with his daughter there and I, and I was thinking like wow they they discriminate everything that is not into their views and that is I think that for for the feminist um for the feminists that we are not thinking like them it's quite um it's quite dangerous, I would say. I would no, it's say. exclusive, right? It's exclusive. Yeah, it's, I, I they're exclusionary from everything, but they, it's also quite um, dangerous in the sense that anyone that does not agree with them, then we're suddenly not a, a real feminist because then we are whatever, right? Like this kind of, of, of behavior and this kinds of, of uh, very, how to say, like super um radical thinking it's it's quite dangerous i mean it's yeah i'm just i'm just babbling here but it, i just i just thought that it was quite disturbing what what i was hearing there uh and what happened with 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 this with this man and his daughter i mean i cannot imagine how he has mis must felt and and the daughter also saying like what is this like is my and dad it's so arbitrary as well yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. yeah, and in this situation, feminists has to struggle against both patriarchy and turfs at the same time. <laughs> so it just—it's like we're yes. attacked from all sides. <laughs> and maybe we should promote—we should promote the inclusive feminism. Inclusive yeah. feminism mm -hmm. solved all problems that have been witnessed by us. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I was—I was reading the other day. This uh, there's a term, and I think it's called. Um, I think it's called in, in, inclusive feminism. No, or is inclusive it... and complementary feminism? They say. It. I think. I think it's, yeah, it's that. I know. Yeah. It's... And I also read one, another one. It's called um, intersectional feminism. Uh, intersectional feminism, well. and there are another waves, and the first wave, second wave, and third wave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The promoting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think we should promote those type of feminism, which are more inclusive so, more intersectional decolonized i mean yeah. yeah we should be advocate all of us uh of it i think we are but i mean uh being more vocal i guess because uh, this this other right-wing type of uh, radical feminism it's quite it's quite heavy on on these yeah. other uh parts of i mean our society what do you say because they have governmental power it's very yes. important. You know? exactly. They have executive power, they have legal power, so they are so powerful. So we should promote our parts and our our side. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure, Honor, if you want to uh, ask another thing before we wrap up. Yeah, maybe we can also talk about uh, feminationalism yeah. as a as a let's say concept or a group uh -huh. in in feminist. Uh, among feminists that have been very exclusionary for uh, immigrants and refugees, especially like in Europe, this has been very common, um, like excluding 
refugees with by making alliance with a nationalist agenda of the countries. And this is very also similar to homonationalism, which is another concept that is uh, being like including nationalized perspectives on feminism and uh, homosexuality, like LGBT mm. to a national identity and excluding all other groups which are uh, immigrants and refugees. So, or assuming uh, that, for example, immigrants put women's life in danger or uh, some groups are homophobic because they are not from our national identity. So these kind of assumptions being put on uh, people who are put in minority positions is also very dangerous. And it's, I think, important to address that. And in that regard, as you said earlier, intersectional perspective in feminism in that regard is very, very important um, to understand different subjective positions of people when they are being uh, either targeted or protected by certain power hierarchies. I think it's very, I was not aware of this uh, feminationalism and, and this homo-nationalism, but I think it's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone that is uh, a woman have, has to think the same or everyone that is uh, from the LGBTQ have to think the same, but I think it's quite dangerous in the sense that they are weaponizing um, minorities. Well, women are not a minority, but we're certainly in a, in a different uh, set up <laughs> in our lives. Um, and so I think weaponizing that type of, uh, yeah, nationalist, like right-wing agenda to, to be xenophobic, I think it's super dangerous. It, it sort of like sends a really creepy message um, to anyone, I think. I mean, anyone that is not from this culture, then it is a threat, right? To women, to LGBT, to whatever. I mean, it's, I was not aware of it, but now that you mention it, I think it's super dangerous. Not sure if I can, uh, I, I might need to to work my my head around it, but I, I don't know, yeah. what, what do you think, uh, Ishid? Um, I'm thinking, uh, I, I'm not sure that I have a different voice and a different word about that topic because from my point of view, feminism uh, shall be inclusive, shall be intersectional with the other type of discrimination and shall be, st shall be stay and stand with the uh, all vulnerable groups. Mm -hmm. So if you are trying to eliminate some of the vulnerable groups, such as LGBTQR people, such as trans people, such as migrant people. And you can, if you categorize some women from our nationality, but some women from the migrants, from the migrant countries, etc. It's It's not feminism. And I think, say, mm -hmm. I think it's not inclusive. It's not intersectional. It's not um, complementary part of to our revolutionary ideas, yeah. which brings us uh, very uh, in international and yeah. Uh, yeah, very human rights-based policy. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's not feminism. And we call mm -hmm. it it's nationalism. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. related to feminism. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, think I, I think there is no need for the new terms for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. I think well, here, I think so. yeah, a very important point is we need a transnational alliance. So that's why transnational feminism is very important here. So not to be fragmented by different nationalities or restricted mm -hmm. by borders or uh, misconceptions, stereotypes about different cultural like values or assumptions about people's values is very risky and ruining the, the main agenda of feminist and queer perspectives in many ways, of course. So okay. this approach beyond nations, I think it's very, it's very, that is the future. Like that, that's how the future of feminism should, I will, I cannot say should because I don't know 
but will end up with and it is happening yeah. Yeah, we are standing it. with our we are standing for our values not standing for uh exclude some of the groups in our movement so it's like they're already excluded like why do we need to exclude them more right but also i was thinking it looks very much i mean of course it is but it is a it is this type of of move that that the the right wing definitely do like divide and conquer i mean if you divide a group that is trying to stand up for their you know their beliefs mm -hmm. divide them and then you will crush yeah. them so this this pretty much look like oh let's divide this already small group that is starting to gain some some um uh some momentum and let's crush them from the inside it's it looks very like that and it's inadmissible that it makes the feminism um, you know ineffective this type of feminism or this type of political struggle is not effective, especially to make some uh, oppression on the government, for example. Who listen to you? Yeah, no, it's not very possible. Exactly. It it shouldn't. Oof, I'm just stunned <laughs> by just that that really really dangerous type of thing that's yeah. going on. But it's definitely. It looks like divide and conquer yeah we should not let us divide yes. we should be united and yes. transnational yes. and intersectional yes. so, and complementary <laughs> no nations no borders yes. no yes. gender expectations exactly <laughs> exactly typical yeah. <laughs> slogan yeah but yeah. oh my gosh thank you so much it has been great and yes. I think this is going to be a great episode. I Let, totally let's agree. go to the 8th of March demonstrations. Oh, <laughs> we will meet that internationally. And by heart. And by heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and thank you so much, Ishil, for joining and being here with us today and sharing all your knowledge and opinions with us and all the audience we have. So we are very happy that you came here today thank you for having me even though digitally <laughs> thank you yes thank yes. you thanks for listening to this episode today uh, we hope you really enjoyed it and that was thought-provoking for you you can actually found our podcast on different platforms such as spotify apple podcast and google podcast uh, we also have uh, our social media channels that you can uh, follow us on facebook mm -hmm. and learn about our future activities or hear more about us more and, and have other updates. And you can also visit our new website, technacluster.com. And as always, uh, Technac was brought to you by the University of Gothenburg and the research cluster Technact. See you next time. Bye bye.